Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Robert Davis again. I previously spoke with Robert in episode number 107, and we had such a great conversation that I wanted to have him back on. Robert is known as the Healthy Skeptic, and he's an award-winning health journalist whose work has appeared on CNN, PBS, WebMD, and in the Wall Street Journal. The author of four books on health, including a newly updated version of his book, Fitter Faster, Robert hosts a Healthy Skeptic video series in which he dissects the science behind popular health claims. He holds an undergraduate degree from Princeton University, a master's in public health from Emory University's Rollins School of Public Health, and a PhD in health policy from Brandeis University, where he was Pew Foundation Fellow. In the episode, Robert shares how to avoid exercise off-ramps, as he calls them, barrier-lowering workouts that anyone can do, which performance-enhancing supplements work and which are just hype, and more. But before we get to the episode, I want to share one of my favorite resources with you, Dry Farm Wines. Did you know that alcohol manufacturers aren't required to post ingredients or nutrition facts on their bottles? Crazy, right? Take a look at any of the bottles on your liquor shelf or on your bar cart, and you'll notice there isn't an ingredients or a nutrition facts label. That's how these multi-million dollar manufacturing companies are able to sneak sugar and other additives into their products. Fortunately, Dry Farm Wines has come up with a solution. Their natural wines are lab-tested to ensure they're sugar-free, lower in sulfites and alcohol, and also free from other industrial additives. Since I've grown accustomed to drinking natural wine, even the top-rated, expensive, conventional wines can give me headaches and just make me feel kind of gross. If you've never tried Dry Farm Wines, you're going to be immediately hooked by the flavor and quality of their products as well as their top-notch customer service. To get a bottle of Dry Farm Wines for just a penny, visit dryfarmwines.com slash thehealthinvestment or click through the link in the show notes. And one final thing, if you've struggled to lose weight and keep it off, you're not alone. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition and weight loss coach, and I have heard it all at this point. Potential and current clients have told me all of the diets and juice cleanses and fads they've tried, and nothing has worked for them long-term, that is, until they seek out my guidance. Unlike restrictive, hard-to-follow diets and programs that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed habits and an everything-in-moderation mindset so you can lose weight permanently, feel completely in control of cravings, have steady energy throughout the day, and stick with your healthy habits long-term. To learn more about my coaching programs, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram at thehealthinvestment. All right, it's time to hear from Robert. Enjoy! I'm Brooke Simonson certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. 
If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Robert. Thank you so much for rejoining me on the Health Investment Podcast. I think my husband was asking just before this, is this your first repeat guest? And I actually believe you are. So that's really exciting. Well, I'm very honored, Brooke, to be the first repeat guest. So thank you. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm honored to have you. Uh, We had such a great conversation the first time. If listeners are curious, you can go back to episode 107 Um, I will link it in the show notes. And that episode was titled, Which Myths About Weight Loss Are Keeping Us Fat? And our conversation was focused mostly on nutrition. But you have a revised book out called Fitter Faster. And so today we're going to be talking more about fitness and really excited to dive into that topic with you. Great. Last time, again, visitors can go back and they can hear your story. I asked you what led you to really become a journalist in the first place and to focus on health and weight loss. So listeners can go back and hear your story um, if they're curious about that. But I would love if you could just share what inspired you to originally write Fitter Faster and then to recently update it. Well, what inspired me initially was that I have a personal interest in a personal passion for fitness. I have long been a runner. I also go to the gym regularly. So it's something that's a regular part of my life, an important part of my life. I I know that it contributes greatly to my sense of well-being. So just I wanted to share what I know and help others uh, in their journey, their fitness journey, and help others figure out how they can incorporate it into their lives or incorporate it more regularly. Um, And also as a health journalist, um, it's a subject I've covered often, and, and just as is the case with nutrition and other wellness topics, there's all kinds of information swirling around out there. People hear all kinds of things. You're supposed to walk 10,000 steps. You should walk, exercise only in the morning, or should you exercise other parts of the day? You know, uh, so are you supposed to uh, uh, exercise on an empty stomach? What about protein powder? All of this stuff that people hear. It's kind of confusing to know what to believe. You throw in there, there's a lot of so-called bro science, people who are guys in gyms that sort of exchange information with themselves and others about what you're supposed to do when you work out. So given all this stuff that you hear that I've covered, I just wanted to try to delve into the science to help people really understand, okay, what's really true? What's not true? What's the most effective way to exercise and what information should you pay attention to and what should you ignore? Mm. It's so interesting that you say that. Um, I'm always talking with clients about that because somebody will say, is X good? And I'll say, well, what is your goal you're working towards? You know, I mean, is X good if you want to become a bodybuilder or is X good if you want to have moderate health and, you know, a baseline of physical fitness in your 40s as a mom? I mean, there are all these things that are touted as good or bad but oftentimes it does depend on your goals and, or actually all of the time, it depends on your goals. And some of the bro science you mentioned, or the nuggets that have come out of the bodybuilder community, not that they're all bad, but they might just be 
not aligned with what you're really looking to achieve in your own life. And then it gets all cluttered and jumbled and you don't know what you're supposed to do. Absolutely. And so sometimes what happens in my experience is people aren't sure what to do. So maybe they get paralyzed and don't do anything unless they have guidance from someone they trust about what works for them or might work for them, as you say, given their goals. Right. And I know you brought on a personal trainer as a co-author. Can you explain why you chose to do that? Yeah, because um, I, the, guy, the guy that I worked with is named Brad Kolowich. He's a personal trainer in Atlanta. He has a lot of different kinds of clients, everything from people who are bodybuilders and super fit to just regular folks who are just trying to get in shape or stay in shape. And so what I, I thought was important was not only for me to lay out the science and help give people some guidance, but also to actually have a specific workout plan, which is can be tailored to somebody's particular needs. And for that, since I'm not a personal trainer myself, I wanted to bring in Brad to help design a specific workout plan that, again, could work for different people in different fitness levels with different goals. And so he's the, he's the guy that knows that and that helped. Uh, and I worked with him to develop this plan. And that is so cool at the end of the book. It must be upwards of 30 pages where you have the workouts that you can do. Do you know how many pages it is? It's I don't know. Yeah, it was, a, it was a good chunk of the book. And um, we, have a lot, we have photos in there so people can see exactly that. Obviously, form is important. And it's important to look exactly how to do the exercise. So we thought having the photos in there was very important with Brad and his wife demonstrating, uh, who's also a, she's, oh. she's also a trainer, um, demonstrating how to do the exercises uh, correctly. Oh, cool. Yeah. No, the food, photos are a great part. It's kind of like cooking, right? When you have a photo, <laughs> it helps to kind of know where you're going from point A to point B. Without a photo, you can still probably get it done, but maybe not as well. Right. So, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially for exercise. Yes. And like you said, form being so important absolutely. to avoid injury. Yeah. I, you've mentioned science, the word science, a couple times already, and that's why I love speaking to you because you base everything in science, and we're all about that here. We're not looking to read into any of the BS and the nonsense out there. I'd love to hear from a scientific perspective, why do we need to exercise? I know you talk about the big six benefits, as you call them, in the book. Yeah, because, you know, we hear this sometimes, but I think you never, I believe we never can overstate the importance of this because I, agree. I like to say if there were a pill that could do all of the things that exercise can do, we'd all be clamoring to take it. Um, there is no pill that will ever come close. There's no medication that will ever come close to having all the benefits that exercise does. And yet it's something that many of us don't do. And, and, and so um, I just think it's important to remember that. And so just to list the, what, I, what I call the big six, number one, um, studies show that people who exercise live longer. They have longer lives and the quality of their lives is better. There, you know, there's this idea called compression of morbidity, meaning that it, at the end of people's lives, when they do have disability and disease and, uh, and, and, Ill, and other kinds of illnesses, that that period of their lives is shortened. So that not only does it lengthen your life exercise, that is, but also it decreases the amount of time that people have in this, this idea of morbidity toward the end of their lives. So that's number one. Number two, we, we, we hear this often, exercise reduces the risk of heart disease. That's an important one, heart disease being the number one killer of people. Uh, it reduces the risk of certain kinds of cancer. Um, it improves your, uh, your brain power, meaning that people who exercise have a lower risk of dementia and Alzheimer's disease. Um, that's thought perhaps because it, it increases blood flow to the brain. Uh, exercise may also help 
increase the size of the hippocampus. That's part of the brain that tends to shrink as we age. And again, ex- people who exercise uh, as they age tend to have a larger hippocampus. So that may be one reason that exercise has that effect on the brain. Um, it helps improve mood. So uh, it reduces the risk of depression and people who uh, suffer from depression. It may help improve symptoms. Um, and, uh, and, and the last one is what I like to call fending off feebleness. You know, as we get older, um, we have, we have loss of bone. We tend to have, um, loss of muscle strength. Um, people have issues with their joints, arthritis and so forth. And exercise can help address all of those issues and help, uh, people continue to do activities of everyday living. So things like walking upstairs, getting up from a chair, uh, lifting things, moving their bodies. And so that's very important because those things become more difficult for many people as they get older. And exercise can help, uh, as I say, fend off feebleness in a way to help people enjoy their lives more because they can use their bodies more easily. And that's, to me, a really important benefit that people often overlook. Yeah. What, when you're saying exercise, 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 what constitutes exercise? Well, that's a great question. And I use the term exercise, even though I don't love that term because it implies for many people something that's negative. And really, we're talking about physical activity, and that can be anything from what people think of it traditionally, which is uh, you know, going to the gym, going for a walk, going for a run, riding a bicycle, but it can also be any other number of activities, uh, playing a sport, playing tennis, uh, dancing, um, mowing the yard, uh, anything that sort of gets your heart rate up in which you're moving your body in some way um, counts as physical activity. And I think that's something important to, to sort of broaden our definition of physical activity and movement to sort of think beyond just going to a gym and doing, you know, getting on a treadmill or something. I agree. Yeah. Uh, there are those two words that I think are used interchangeably, exercise and movement. And I think, I don't know, maybe it is this hang up we all have with the word exercise of it does feel more of a formal thing, like you're getting in your car, you're going to the gym, or you're getting weights out of the closet, whatever. And it doesn't have to be that, right? It could just be moving your body yeah. in any any way that works for you, parking uh, at a farther parking spot at Costco and walking a little bit more, even walking around Costco. I feel like I get 6,000 steps in there. So uh, it doesn't have to be the more formal idea. You didn't mention when you were talking just then weight loss, and we touched on this on the, in the earlier episode, but I would love if you could also emphasize here, why is weight loss not one of the primary benefits of exercise? Yeah, and this is a key point, Brooke, because so many people look to exercise first and foremost to help them lose weight. And I like to say that it's unfortunate, given all the other things that exercise can do, that they look to it to help them lose weight. And ex- losing weight is the one thing it often doesn't do so well. And yeah. the reason is that exercise, the kind of exercise that most of us do, the kind of physical activity that most of us get, which is great for our health and great for our overall well-being, does not burn that many calories. So what that means is that if you go for a walk, if you take a yoga class, if you go for a hike, uh, whatever the case may be, you're not going to burn enough calories to make an appreciable difference in your weight. And unfortunately, what happens is that people often look to exercise to have that benefit. Uh, and it, when it doesn't, they get frustrated and give up. And so I think it's mm-hmm. important to go in with reasonable expectations, knowing that exercise may not help you actually shed pounds. Now, that said, exercise can be helpful when it comes to actually keeping off weight that you've lost. So moderate amounts of exercise, the kinds I just described, can be helpful when it comes to preventing weight gain, keeping weight off. 
It also can be helpful at reducing body fat, particularly visceral fat. That's the kind around the waist that's been associated with negative health effects. So there can be benefits related to weight, but actually shedding pounds is not something that exercise is typically very good at doing. Mm -hmm. I've had so many clients come to me uh, because I work as a nutrition coach and say, my personal trainer said I have to reach out to somebody in nutrition to help me get that in line for the weight loss piece. And it's helpful if there's uh, personal trainers out there who don't feel confident doing that themselves. It's great that they're sourcing people out to others who can help them in that arena. But I do know I've heard from so, so many people at this point, and I'm sure you have as well. It is frustrating. I don't know how we got that in our minds. Was that kind of the exercise craze in the 80s or 90s or something of why people were going to exercise first and foremost for weight loss and not nutrition? I don't really even know. Do you know where that started? Well, Has I th- that always been? No, it hasn't always been the case, but I think over the last 40 years or so, it's been part of the fitness industry's pitch to get people to join gyms, to you know, hire uh-huh. personal trainers. Um, and I think it's just, it's been sort of, and there were early on, and I talk about it in my other book, Supersize Lies, um, about there were researchers who were pushing this idea uh, back in the 1960s and 70s and sort of, sort of, and it, because before that it wasn't widely accepted, but it, because of that, it also became widely accepted. So I think it's a combination of factors, but it is an unfortunate um, uh, trend that we've seen because people have internalized this idea. Many people have that exercise is a key way to lose weight. And it also uh, is something that, you know, is imperative. You must do it. And if, you know, and then people feel, as I said, if they don't lose weight, then there's something they 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 don't want to uh, exercise them. Right. And then they might give it up and then not get all of the benefits that you mentioned. Right. So it's a vicious cycle. I think the one of the mindset shifts that worked for me is just to think nutrition burns fat and then to exercise for the reasons you mentioned, for my mood, for my energy, my strength, to know that it's helping me down the road, but to take that just out of the equation completely when it comes to uh, if I have a weight loss or a weight maintenance goal at the time. You said it can definitely help with the weight maintenance part, but especially with weight loss, just remove it from the equation and think I'm exercising to feel great, feel strong, all of these amazing things, and then I'm eating for my weight loss goal. Right. That's, I think that's great advice. What are some of the primary reasons you found that people don't exercise? You mentioned they might give up on a regimen if their goal was weight loss and they didn't accomplish that, but why don't more of us do the exercise or the movement that we need to do? Well, one, certainly, perhaps the most common one is just lack of time, or at least a perceived Mm -hmm. lack of time. People say, I don't have time for that. I have a busy life. I have a job. I have a family. I have other responsibilities, and I just can't squeeze an exercise. And my answer to that is a couple of things. First of all, um, you know, it's a matter of figuring out how to do exercise more efficiently, because it's understandable. You know, when you hear what the uh, recommendations are that we should get at least 30 minutes a day, at least five days a week of uh, moderate, moderately intense aerobic activity, things like walking or biking. Um, so we have that plus a couple of days a week of uh, resistance exercise, weightlifting or other kinds of, of strength training, and then to get uh, uh, some kind of flexibility work in as well, stretching and so forth. So that's a lot. That's a lot of time for people to fit into a busy schedule. And so the first thing is, is for people to think about, okay, what are ways that I can combine these or to do this more efficiently so I don't have to spend hours and hours and hours a week because very few of us have hours and hours and hours a week to devote to things like that. 
Um, and, and, and then also how do I prioritize? And that's key because like anything else, it can't be something you just squeeze in here and there when you have time, because it's not going to be something you do regularly. So how do I make it a priority? How do I schedule it as I would anything else that's a priority, whether it's going to business meetings or going to my child's soccer games or going to uh, other important things I need to be at? How do you make it a priority and work it into your schedule so that you can do that? So I think, so I think uh, that, that's something we talk about a lot in the book, but how do you learn to make it something that works for your life and for your schedule and that you can prioritize and do regularly? Um, I think that's key. Something else that's another factor for many of us, and, I, and this is certainly was a factor for me because I was not an athlete growing up. Exercise or physical activity was sort of something I didn't like to do. I was a kid who was always on the couch watching TV instead of being outside. And um, many people just, you know, find it, you know, something they don't like to do. They just find it unpleasant. They don't want to do it. It has negative connotations. It's just the idea of exercising and sweating. And it's just, it's just, bleh, it's unpleasant. So I think sort of how, how do you sort of overcome those kinds of barriers and those kinds of attitudes? And then also, I think for a lot of people, it's just intimidating. I mean, you think of people picture going to a gym. We, sometimes that's, this is known as gym intimidation. Uh, you know, this idea of you go to a gym, you see these, you know, perfectly sculpted bodies and equipment you're not sure how to use and surrounded by people you feel you're going to look silly. So I think that can be another barrier as well. Um, and that people just feel that it's not something they feel comfortable doing. So I think all of these things uh, can be overcome, and there are certainly ways to overcome, and I talk a lot about how to do that, but I think that those are just a few of the reasons that people often um, shy away from exercise. I saw a personal trainer that's really popular and trains a bunch of celebrities posting on Instagram the other day. He posted one of those question stickers for people to ask him anything, and somebody said, what do I do when I feel intimidated at the gym and the weight section? And there's all these, like you described, these perfectly toned bodies and people know what they're doing. And he said, you have to understand those people don't care about you at all. <laughs> They've gone there for one job and one job only, and it's to improve their own physique. And they literally don't care what you're doing or what you look like. And they probably don't even notice you. So I think we often believe people care more about us and what we look like and what we're doing way more than they do. I think that's great advice. And it's something it took me a while to figure out because for a long time I was intimidated for that very reason. And, and, it, and it's some, and eventually I learned exactly that, that I'm focused on my workout. Everyone else is focused on their workout. They're not looking at me. I'm not looking at them and, 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 and just don't worry about it and focus on what you need to do there. Yeah. And he also brought up the point they started, they had a first day at one point as well. And they may have really good form and tips now. And he said, you'd be surprised, even some of the more body bo bodybuilding looking characters in the gym, if you have a question about something, and if you were to just go over and say, obviously, if they're not in the middle of a set or something, but could you help me figure this one thing out? He said, you'd be surprised how many are excited to help and share their knowledge they've accumulated. So just a new mindset about, I know I used to think that way about the weight section at the gym in particular, that it was super intimidating. And usually there's lots of men there as well and not as many women. I think that's changing now, but um, all, all really important points that you brought up. I know you talk about off ramps, which I think is a really cool term. Can you describe what you mean by an off-ramp and what are some tips you have for avoiding the most common ones? Sure. And by off-ramp, I mean, and I referred to this earlier, all of us can get sidetracked. You know, we can go in with great expectations and great intentions and say, I'm going to start an exercise plan or 
I'm going to, I'm going to do this regularly and I'm going to, but then a lot of things get in the way and we, everyday life gets in the way. Our job gets in the way. Our family responsibilities get in the way. Uh, medical emergencies get in the way. Things we have to deal with, or we're tired or we, uh, you know, other things just sort of derail us or we sort of lose motivation. And so I think that, and that's just normal and that's to be expected. And so I try to help give people things they can do to avoid these off-ramps, to deal with everyday um, kinds of situations that come up, every kind, everyday kinds of barriers that come up to, to, that may keep them from exercising regularly or from getting sidetracked and stopping their workout plan. So just a few examples, and I list a number, but I'll just give you a few examples. I mean, one is, as I mentioned this earlier, to treat it like an appointment. So again, that, that's, that's really crucial, I think, to make it something that's a priority, but to schedule in a way that's going to work for your life. Because we're not all the same. Some people, they're going to have more time in the morning. So they get up and they go first thing in the morning because they know if they wait till later in the day, then they're not going to go. Other people like me, I'm not a morning exerciser. I, I'm just, you'll never find me at the gym at six in the morning. It's just not the way that I'm wired. So I know if I were to say, okay, I'm only going to go at six in the morning, that would never happen. I'd never be able to roll out of bed and go. Mm-hmm. So I find time late in the day to go. So, so it's important to, to figure out what's going to be realistic for you, what's going to work for you given your preferences and your life and your other obligations. Um, I think it's important to make it enjoyable. I, I think, you know, if, if it's drudgery, if it's something you dread, you're not going to keep going back. So there are ways to do that. Number one is you pick activities or pick things to do. We talked earlier about different ways to move your body. Find ways to move your body that you at least don't hate and eventually you'll maybe like. Um, so if you if you hate running, don't run. If you don't like getting on a machine at the gym, don't you don't have to do that. So the point is to find if you prefer to go for a hike or if you prefer to swim or if you prefer to dance or if you prefer to play tennis or if you prefer yoga, whatever it is, find something that will work for you that is something that you're you're more likely to enjoy. And then while you're doing it, do things that you enjoy. If you like listening to music, listen to music. If that's that helps many people, uh, music does. Or if you're doing it indoors and you have access to a television, you know, watch a Netflix show or have a Netflix show on while you're doing your work and, and only watch that show that series when you're exercising, save it for then. So again, it's something you're going to look forward to. So make it, make it more fun. And then part of that also sort of an adjunct to that is many people find that they work out with other people. So find a hiking buddy or walking buddy, or if you like going to a class, some people do, some people don't, but if class, many people find that classes help motivate them because it, it, it's, it's other people to work out with and you're expected to be there. So that can be helpful as well. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think reward yourself uh, when you reach a certain goal. Um, I say, OK, I'm going to treat myself to something I enjoy, whether it's a trip or whether it's a massage or whether it's going to a concert, just something you'd enjoy. Um, I think that's important, to, now, and, which it shouldn't be food, by the way. That's not you don't mm-hmm. want to sort of overindulge in eating. That's going to for many people defeat the purpose. But I think some activity or event or something special, I think that's important. And then one last point I would make, Brooke, is that I like to think that it's important to, you know, we talked earlier about all these benefits uh, and they're very important that exercise has, but, but often if you, if you are motivated only by, okay, I'm preventing a heart attack in 20 years, that's not really powerful enough to motivate people to, to, to keep going with their exercise program. But I think what's more powerful is to focus on the immediate benefits, instant gratification. How does exercise make you feel in the short term or after you do it? Are you, less stressed? Do you sleep better? Do you feel, uh, are you in a better mood? Um, do you feel more empowered? So to think about how exercise helps you in the short term 
And I think that can be very motivating so that eventually exercise goes from being something that you feel you have to do to a chore, something you want to do. And that takes time and it takes time for that to develop. But I think over time, and that's certainly what happened for me on my journey, I started, okay, I have to do this. But eventually I knew that if I didn't do it, I wouldn't feel as good. And so after I exercise, I always feel better. And that becomes the motivating factor for me to exercise regularly because I just want to keep feeling good. And so I think that can be a very powerful incentive to keep going if you focus on the short-term immediate benefits. And I think it's good that you're so honest there that it doesn't happen overnight because we have this comparison trap. So you may see somebody on social media who's exercising most days of the week and seeming like they kind of enjoy it and think that there's something wrong with you if you don't feel that way yet. But that person may not have enjoyed it at first, and it may have been an irregular practice, and it could have taken them years to get to that point. So that's a possibility for you, too, in the future. It just may take a bit of time, and I don't think a lot of people are honest about that, or maybe they are, and I just don't follow those people. (laughs) No, I completely agree, and I think it's a matter in figuring out what it is over time. Again, it's not going to happen overnight, but over time, what are things you notice? How do you feel different after you exercise? And we're all going to be different, but to pay attention to that and then really start to zero in on that as you go forward to say, okay, I, I realize I'm feeling better this way, and to think about that to help motivate you to keep going. You have a question at some point in the book that you answer that I thought was so interesting because I don't think anybody really talks about this, but you answer the question, can motivation to exercise be contagious? Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, there's a really interesting line of research and there's a phenomenon called social contagion. And the idea is that certain health behaviors almost spread like a virus. And so there's been research on, for example, obesity. As people gain weight and, and are obese, as people around you are gain weight, you're more likely to gain weight or vice versa, lose weight. Or if people smoke, you're more likely to smoke. And so the same has been found to be true of exercise. If people around you, whether we're talking friends, family members, neighbors, spouses, certainly, if they're more likely to exercise, to take up exercise, you're more likely to take up exercise as well. And conversely, if people around you don't exercise, don't get regular physical activity, you're less likely to get regular physical activity. So it stands to reason, it's, it's sort of common sense that you would tend to model behavior of those around you. But I think the way that this uh, works out in a practical sense is that if you want to stay motivated to, uh, to be physically active, it's good to surround yourself with people who are physically active. And so um, it doesn't mean you get rid of all your friends who aren't, certainly, but it's spurn people that aren't. But it means you try to surround yourself with people who are and to be around people who are. And that makes you, according to research, more likely to stick with it and to keep exercising. And so um, I think that that's, that's sort of an interesting line of research to, to have sort of something, something else that we can try to do to help motivate us to stick with exercise over the long term. It makes a lot of sense then why if somebody's training for a half half marathon or a marathon, why there's all those running clubs where you meet and people hold you accountable and you have you share that experience of these training runs with people who have your same goal. It makes sense, right? We're communal people and we've seen over the past several years with COVID that that communal aspect has been removed and we've suffered because of that. And it's cool that we're getting back now to be able to join group fitness classes or do things with people again and to know that that could really help you if in the past 
you haven't been able to stick with exercise, maybe that's the piece that's been missing, some type of community inspiring you. Yes, absolutely. You also use a really cool term, and I love this because I'm always looking for, like, what's the most bang for your buck thing I can do in the kitchen so that I can spend 10 minutes in here rather than 20, but you say barrier-lowering workouts. Can you elaborate on what you mean by a barrier-lowering workout? Sure, and it refers to what we discussed earlier, the reasons people don't often exercise, and certainly, again, the number one reason for many people is time. So, how do you create uh, routines that you spend less time? And it's something that I've tried to do, we've, that Brad and I, my co-author, tried to do in this book to create routines that people can do as, in as little as 15 minutes. And so there are several ways you can do that. One way is to have circuits. You know, sometimes at the gym, what people do when they go or they do strength training is they'll do three sets of, say, an exercise. So they'll do an exercise rest and then do a second set and then rest and do a third set and then go to the next next exercise and do that. So we have people go through circuits and, and research shows that actually one circuit can be quite effective. If that's all you have time for. Go from you know six or seven exercises from one to the other, do X number of whatever prescribed number of repetitions and then go to the next exercise. And that can save a lot of time. Um, we have exercises where you combine both strength training and aerobics so that, uh, or, or cardio. So that way you don't have to spend as much time doing one kind of exercise and the other. We, we have exercises that allow you to do both. One kind of exercise uh, listeners may have heard of is called high-intensity interval training or HIT. That's become a big thing in the last several years. And that the idea there is when you're doing uh, walking or running or biking or any kind of other um, aerobic activity, um, instead of going sort of at a steady state for, say, 30 minutes, um, you go really hard and so, sort of as hard as you can for say 10 seconds or 15 seconds or 30 seconds. And then you go at an easier pace for say 10 seconds or 15 seconds or 30 seconds or longer. And then you go hard and then you go easy. So you alternate between going at a, a very intense pace and then a more moderate to leisurely pace. And you alternate that. And what research shows is this kind of approach can be as effective, if not more effective when it comes to cardiovascular and other benefits than going at a steady rate for say 30 minutes. And the, the beauty of this is you can spend much less, less time doing it as little as 10 minutes. Some research suggests even less and get the same or even greater benefits. So that's just yet another way of, of planning a workout, planning to do exercise where you can get the great, as you say, greater bang for your buck, spend less time and get the same, if not greater benefits. Mm, yeah, I love that. I learned from a personal trainer I had on I forget what he called it. My husband and I were talking about it the other day and we both couldn't remember the term, but he'll actually put weights in a backpack and go for a walk. So it's kind of a more challenging walk. Have you mm -hmm. heard of people doing that? So things like that, certainly. Yes. And that's yeah. a perfect example of sort of mixing it up. Right. So, you know, probably not recommended for everyone. You probably have to, ch you know, check with your doctor before doing that. And it depends on the type of weight you're using and how much, but cool just to think of, what do you already enjoy doing, or at least not hate doing, as you say? I like the way you phrase that, because you may not love every exercise you're doing. You're doing it for a purpose. Get in, get out, you know, get it done. It may not feel good in the moment. You'll feel great afterwards. But what could you, how could you tweak that a little bit, either to make it more efficient or, you know, not have to spend as much time and get the same results, if not better, um, Love that. Love any hacks out there that help us that are science-based that aren't just, you know, drink this green powder and then. Right. And, you, don't I, ever and, have to work and out. you know, Brooke, I think that's so important because often people will say, 
well, I, I have 10 minutes and I have 15 minutes. I don't have time to exercise, so I'm just not going to do it. And so my mm-hmm. answer is, okay, well, if you've got 10 minutes for 15 minutes, there are ways to fit to squeeze in some physical activity and ways to do it more efficiently. And even in 10 minutes is better than nothing, right? So yeah. whatever, I think that the key there is sort of having, being armed with this information of ways to be able to use the time that you do have as efficiently as possible. I remember when the New York Times publicized that seven-minute workout years ago. Yes. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. And then just having this visceral reaction of, oh, gosh, seven minutes. I could never say I don't have time to do this. So now we're all really done for. If there's a seven-minute workout, we can all do something. Even if it's seven minutes, it's better than zero. We talked about why exercise is important, but and we've mentioned strength training, weight training, you know, there's different terms for it a couple of times, but why specifically should we be engaging in some form of strength or weight training? That is such an important question because, you know, lots of people who are physically active, who do exercise most days of the week, uh, focus uh, exclusively on cardio, on walking, running, uh, biking, those, and, and certainly those kinds of things are great. And so that's a very important part of exercise, but they also give short shrift to the other part of, I think, a well-rounded uh, physical activity program, which is weight training or resistance, or as you say, strength training. It's different, used by different, different names are used for it. But it's important because not only does it have some of the same benefits as uh, cardio, things like uh, you know, improve cardiovascular fitness, uh, lowering blood sugar, improving bone strength, but also it has some benefits that uh, cardio or aerobic conditioning does not have, and particularly helping uh, slow or reverse uh, the loss of muscle mass. And you know, we, we mentioned this earlier, as, as we all get older, we tend to lose muscle mass. And that's what uh, happens as we get older. We tend to, as people get older, as they lose muscle mass, it becomes harder to do everyday activities. And so that's why, particularly as, as people get older, but at all ages, doing some kind of strength training is crucial. It's a crucial piece of a, an exercise program. Um, and, and so I just think that, um, sometimes people are intimidated by this more so than say walking or doing aerobic activity. Sometimes they're not sure what to do. And so that's why I think it's particularly important for people to have the right information, the right kind of instruction to know how to incorporate this kind of exercise into their uh, routines. Mm -hmm. And then that might be something that feels really intimidating to hear strength training. I think the image that often comes to mind is somebody using weights or some type of TRX band or the machines at the gym. Do you need a bunch of fancy equipment or do you have to join a gym to do strength training? The answer is no and no. Um, (laughs) You can do strength training. There are many different ways to do it. You can do it uh, with no equipment using just body weight. There are all kinds of exercises from push-ups to squats to, and there are different ways to do these depending on your uh, fitness level and your um, ability. Um, there, you can use uh, resistance bands. You can use everyday objects, things like cans, cans of food or jugs of water. Um, so uh, there are m- many different ways to do resistance training that don't require you to use any special equipment or to go to the gym. I, the, 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 in our workout plan, we actually uh, suggest that people use dumbbells. I think that if people are going to have equipment, often dumbbells are the simplest and most versatile piece of equipment. You can buy them online and just get a few dumbbells. And uh, and they are very, very uh, versatile. As I said, you could, they can be used, used for many, many different kinds of exercises. But if you don't want to get dumbbells, you don't have to. But I would suggest that if people are going to get something at their homes to use, 
that might be the most useful thing to consider, or at least among the most useful things to consider. But it's not mm-hmm. imperative. Right. And they have sets of them and also those adjustable ones now, which are really cool. Right. I know there were uh, there was a big shortage during COVID, but I'm sure yeah, I think they're back on now. Amazon. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're all back where we all shop. I'm curious because you did mention that you're an avid runner. Did you notice any difference in your running performance when you started doing more strength training? For sure. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I noticed a number of changes and that was certainly one of them. I just, I, I, I was able to run faster. Not that I was really timing myself. I've mm-hmm. never been one to sort of, you know, pay much attention to how fast I'm going or anything like that. But I was able to sort of, I know, improve my, uh, my speed. And also um, I think I, my endurance seemed to improve. I just think because my leg strength was greater. Um, yeah. So yes, I definitely have noticed a difference. I've heard people say as well that for runners, you're more likely to get injured if you don't have the strength, even in like your core or your upper body mm-hmm. when running. So mm-hmm. I think there there's really no downsides to strength training. And people, I think, will say, oh, I might get injured. You could really get injured doing anything. And I do follow a lot of very respectable personal trainers because I'm always trying to learn more about exercise myself. And a lot of them now are saying, don't let fear of injury be the thing that's holding you back because the chances of getting injured, not strength training are probably higher later in life by a fall, or if you just don't have the strength to carry your body around. So don't be scared of the slight injury you might get when doing something, obviously have proper form. Um, But that to me, I don't know about you, but I hear that is one of the common reasons of why people don't want to attempt it is I might get injured. I don't know why there's more of a connotation of injury with strength training. No, I think that's a, that's a very common reason, particularly as people get older and they say, well, I know I I can't, I I can't imagine myself lifting a weight. It's not something I would do. That seems dangerous. I'm not going to do that. And I encourage people all the time of all ages for the very reasons you just described why it's so important to, uh, forget about that. And then, but obviously to know what they're doing, to get proper instruction, to, uh, to do the exercise properly. So they will reduce the risk of injury. But as you say, for the very reason of not getting injured in their everyday activities in life, right? So that's the whole point. And mm-hmm. so, um, and to be able to do those things every day. So yes, I think that's a crucial point. And that's a reason that, that it's a barrier for many people that is important to address. I know you, uh, mentioned bro science earlier and, you know, protein powder and all these different things that go along with it. I think supplements are something that kind of falls into that category and that can also be overwhelming. Would you say that most are overrated and a waste of money? Are there any that are worth it? Most are overrated and a waste of money. I mean, you see a lot of bodybuilders, especially people, gym rats, taking all kinds of things and swearing by them. And for certain people, they may help. There's certain you know ones that may help. I would say there are two that I talk about in the in this book that I think do have good science behind them for most people. Uh, they're not for everybody, and and I and certainly by, they're by no means essential. You can get a great workout, and I, I don't take either of these, but for some people, they do find that they're helpful. So. One is creatine. That's a amino acid that you get in a often comes in a powder, but it comes in pills, other forms as well. And there's really good science that shows that when combined with resistance training, it can help. Taking creatine can help increase muscle mass and strength. And that's in people of all ages. There's studies in younger people and older people, in men and women that show that it can be helpful. Um, 
Now, there are some side effects of some people. For example, I have had you know, stomach cramps. Some people get stomach cramps. And I think it's a matter of finding the right form, taking it with water, drinking a lot of water, taking it, other things to be able to reduce that side effect. But nevertheless, that has been found to be helpful. And it's thought to be relatively safe aside from that side effect. Um, so that's one. And the other is one that many people will be familiar with. And that's one that many of us take all the time. And that's caffeine. Um, mm. You know, so that's it's, some people say that's the world's most common, you know, uh, performance enhancing drug, legal performance enhancing drug, uh, because there is a good body of literature that shows that caffeine can indeed improve your athletic performance. Um, it's thought that maybe it does this by helping muscles use fat more readily, burn fat, or perhaps by uh, boosting uh, your mood. We know that caffeine boosts your mood, so it does sort of a, helps your brain, helps you be more alert, reduces what's called perceived exertion so that you don't feel, so that reduces how hard you feel you're working out. So whatever the reason, I think there, for many people, caffeine does, they do find it helpful when it comes to working out. Um, it's important not to take too much. Typically the amount for say somebody who weighs 150 pounds would be, um, two to 400 milligrams, which is a few cups of coffee. Um, ideally uh, for optimal effects to be taken an hour before you work out because the effects tend to peak an hour after you've ingested caffeine. You definitely don't want to overdo it. So more is definitely not better. If you take too much caffeine, it's going to have a negative effect in terms of rapid heartbeat, jitteriness, um, you know, other negative effects. So um, that can, that can be a real problem. And then some people like me, I have a negative effect no matter how much I take. So even mm -hmm. if I take a little bit, I'm very sensitive to caffeine and I find that it makes my heart pound and it makes me uncomfortable. So uh, for, for me, caffeine doesn't work. So I think the point there is that everybody's different, but creatine and caffeine are going to be helpful for some people. And, and again, both are, if you take them in moderation, both are thought to be relatively safe. Well, I appreciate you saying that because I think there's just so much money wasted out there on stuff that doesn't work. And now there's all these MLM companies. So then maybe your friends are trying to sell you a green powder or supplement that has who even knows, revolutionary benefits at the gym and just ignore it. Don't just come back here. Listen to this. If they're not selling high quality creatine or giving you a cup of coffee, then ignore them. Right. <laughs> uh, I definitely asked you this in the other episode and I don't remember your exact answer, but I always ask my guests a final question, which is in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Maybe this time you could do a more fitness focus with that question. Sure. Well, I think to me, the, uh, what that means is that you think about moving your body as something that you do to enhance the quality of your life. And you try to do a little bit each day. And as you said before, it could mean just walking farther from the car into the store. It could mean going to the gym, but not necessarily. It could mean going for a walk with a friend. It could mean walking your dog. It could mean going out dancing. It could be any number of things, but it means trying to move your body in some way each day, not because you have to, not because you're supposed to in order to make your heart healthier, but to just help improve the quality of your life, your overall well-being. And doing a little bit each day, uh, making that investment in your moving your body, I think can have an enormous payoff from a, on a day-to-day -day basis and over the course of your life in enhancing the quality of your life, helping you enjoy your life more. Love that. And I think it's such a 
great point that you brought up earlier. It was we're humans and we're usually not as long-term focused as we think we are. So exercising or moving to avoid that heart attack 30 years from now probably isn't going to get you to the gym every day. So what is that short-term benefit you can focus on? And I love how you phrased it, just to enjoy your body, to enjoy your life more. How can you just move and do something that comes more naturally to you or you at least don't hate? (laughs) Where can listeners follow and find you and buy your new book, Fitter Faster? They can follow me. uh, Well, they can find me through my website, which is healthyskeptic.com. And there they can find information about this book and my other books and find links to Amazon to buy the books. Um, and on that site, I also have a number of videos I've created about fitness and nutrition and weight and other wellness topics, sort of short videos that debunk common claims, sort of look at the science behind the claims. Um, they can also follow me on social media. I'm on uh, Facebook at Healthy, Robert Davis Healthy Skeptic and on Instagram at Healthy Skept, S-K-E-P-T. Awesome. All right. Well, I will link all of those things up in the bio and I'm very grateful for you coming on a second time. I can't wait to have you on a third time when you write another book. (laughs) Well, thank you, Brooke. I'll have to get working on that book then because I will look forward to that. Really? You better get working. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.